You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed mind Welcome to the Anarchist World this week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national, international events to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. Welcome to all our listeners across the country. Welcome to our listeners at 2MIA in Griffith, New South Wales, 2RRR in Gladesville, New South Wales. Uh, four triple Z in uh, Queen in Queensland, four NAG in Yapoon, four NSA in Noosa Heads in Queensland, seven RGY in Huon FM in uh, Jeefston. Let's keep going. Three obviously three CR in Melbourne. Uh, four. I've done that one. I think <laughs> so many. Uh, eight triple C. In Alice Springs, two triple X in Canberra, three uh, three U G E in Alexandra, in Victoria, and the list. Oh yeah, and two B O B in Taree, and a few other. I've missed out. Sorry about that. So uh, it's good to have you all on board. If you wonder what anarchy is all about. Anarchos without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people? Inequalities in power and wealth. So what is the anarchist struggle based on? The anarchist struggle is based on the devolution of power. That's the sharing of power, possibly through direct democratic means. It's about holding wealth in common and using for the common good. These aren't radical concepts. People say anarchists are radicals. Well, we may want to a radical realignment of the way the world works but these are very 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 conservative views exceptionally conservative holding wealth in common for the common good so children don't starve because of lack of food while other people have billions of dollars to buy Learjets that doesn't seem very radical to me. It's, I think it's the other way away. The other way around is very radical. And the fact that um, we want people to be involved in the decision-making process and the decisions which affect their lives through direct democratic means, not through sham representative democracy, not very radical at all. So if you're one of these radicals who believes in inequality, who wants to maintain the status quo, who wants to use the uh, monopoly on the use of force by the state to maintain the inequalities which uh, we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, piss off. If you're interested, 
in the struggle to create an egalitarian community where wealth is held in common. You can continue listening if you wish, but obviously there are lovely, lots of lo- lovely things you can do. And now, with Invasion Day coming up, you know, you kind of, a lot of people get caught up in that. And uh, look, I've been involved in these issues for, what, 40 years? When we were considered to be, you know, undesirables and radicals. Not that much has changed these days. But on the 20th of January, the 20th of January marks the execution of Tanaminoe Mulbohina. Two members of a five-party band, which created consternation in the newly created uh, city of Melbourne. Two men and five women, survivors of the Tasmanian Holocaust, had broken away from the party of 17 from the uh, 82 survivors who were living on Flinders Island, who were brought to Victoria by Robinson to civilise the uh, Victorian blacks, in inverted commas, broke away from the party and went into the Mornington Peninsula and the Dandenong Ranges and began a guerrilla struggle. Now, these were battle-hardened people. They had survived a 33-year war of extermination in Van Diemen's Land, Tasmania. 300 and about 52 had been sent to Flinders Island. Within three years, most of them had died. And of the 82 that had survived, 17 were brought to Victoria. Five of those 17, Tanaminawe, Morborhina, Putirana, Planobina and Traganini, two men and three women, women commenced a guerrilla campaign hoping that the local Victorian Aboriginal groups would uh, join them in this struggle. And the struggle they conducted was a quite a fascinating one. If you go to Tana, if you look up Tana Minuwa Morbohina on your search engine, you'll see the extent of that particular struggle. But the fascinating thing was that on the 20th of November 1841, after sending the authorities on a merry chase, the police, the armed forces, the local squatters, and causing consternation in Melbourne, they were finally cornered, shot at, and by some miracle all survived and were arrested. The five were tried at the end of 1841, in December 1841, before Judge Willis the first Supreme Court judge appointed to the uh, colony of Victoria. That, at that particular time, Victoria was part of New South Wales. And a jury found the two men guilty and the, two, and the three women not guilty. And they asked for mercy to be exhibited. But uh, Judge Willis believed that an example should be made of these men because of the armed resistance against colonisation, which they, were, they had uh, been involved in. And they were both hung on the 20th of January, 1842. The first two people executed in Melbourne, publicly executed, and over a quarter of the 
city's population turned up for the execution, which was uh, basically a carnival. If you look at some of the uh, early written accounts of what actually happened on the day. Now, their story had been forgotten. And it wasn't until 2004 when the Anarchist Minor Institute took up that particular struggle and commenced commemorations that their names were once again heard. And we made a number of decisions. And those decisions were, one, that we would use their Indigenous names. Not the names that the colonisers had called them by, but their Indigenous name. Tanaminawai, Mobohina, Planabina, Putirana, Traganini. That we wanted a significant monument erected to them as a reminder of the frontier wars. That we wanted other people across the country to take up this struggle and define their freedom fighters. Because let's not forget the colonisation of, of Australia, as many of us were taught in school, was not some type of cakewalk. It was a brutal, bloody affair where no quarter was shown. Germ warfare was used, poisonings were used, people were butchered, slaughtered, many indiscriminately, many silently, their bodies burnt so that the rolling plains, which most of Eastern Australia was, which had been created by Aboriginals' land management techniques, could be used to grow sheep. And the wool from those sheep was sent to the satanic mills in England to fuel the British Empire's colonial ambitions. Let's not forget, this was the period when the commons were closed and the people who had lived in England and Britain, what is now called Britain, for centuries and used the commons to survive were forced in the, into the cities as cheap labour, well, slave labour almost, where children as young as four and five were worked to death in order to enrich a minority. So in many ways the colonisation process had victims at either end. Now in Australia, we have an important day the, 25th of, the um, 25th of April Anzac Day, when we commemorate all those men and women, almost 100,000, who have died in wars that Australia has been involved in. Now, unfortunately, most of these wars, or well, almost all of them, except World War Two, were fought on other people's lands to defend vested interests. As you know, the First World War was not the glorious affair we're told it was, some about liberty and democracy. The First World War was a dirty little trade war fought by workers at either end of a bayonet. 
But we, we, we respect that day, we commemorate that day. But there is no day to commemorate the tens of thousands and the hundreds of thousands of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who were murdered, dispossessed for a colonisation process whose ramifications continue today. So we have no monuments, no day. Now it's all very well to protest on the 26th of January and it's all very well to protest on another day. But we're beyond protest. The Tanaminoi Morbu here in the Commemoration Committee wants a national day. It wants a national day. National Aboriginal and Islander Freedom Fighters Day. To publicly acknowledge what occurred in the continuing legacy of that colonisation process. Obviously there are freedom fighters all through, not just through the initial colonisation process, but in the 19th century, in the 20th century, in the 21st century. People fight in many ways. So we want that day to encourage local communities, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, to understand their local history and then become involved in campaigns to erect monuments to those freedom fighters in every city, in every suburb, in every region, in every rural area, as we see with Anzac monuments which sprang up across Australia over the last hundred years. Because this is a, an important way via which we acknowledge what has occurred. Now obviously this Friday, the 20th of January, we'll be holding the Tanaminoa Mōbōhina commemoration, which if you're in Melbourne you're invited to, you don't have to ring anybody up, turn up, bring some flowers. The commemoration is broken up into two parts. And I'd like to again point out this is not a protest. This is us acknowledging, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians, acknowledging the past, the present and the road to the future. And in many regards, I'm a little bit disappointed regarding the guest list this year. And I'll tell you why. Because I was asked to invite one of the Yurik commissioners to speak at the commemoration. And unfortunately, a commission which is looking into the past and injustices in Victoria is not able to provide a commissioner to talk on the day. Now, we've got the runs on the board through a struggle that lasted over a decade we now have a Tanaminawa Mōbūhina commemoration monument. 
And it is disappointing to see government-appointed bodies again refuse to be part of this grassroots movement. And we are a grassroots movement. We've never paid anybody a cent to be involved. Uh, Janet Gulpin from the Bunarong Land and Sea Foundation will be uh, will be um, doing Welcome to Country. We've had a long relationship with the foundation. Unfortunately, you'll find that when you're involved in these struggles, resistance comes from many sides. It comes from the usual sides, the Murdoch media, the conservative sections of society, those who believe that uh, you know terra nullius still exists and compensation shouldn't be paid. But it also comes from sections of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community which have now been incorporated into the state process. So this is a people's commemoration. We'll have guest speakers. Les Thomas will be um, singing the Tanaminuwe Morbul Hina song that he uh, wrote a number of years ago for the commemoration. And the first hour of the commemoration will be held at the monument at the corner of Franklin and Victoria Street in Melbourne. Now this is a family-friendly affair. It's still school holidays. It's a great time to bring children along so that they can understand. Because they are. They will be the ones who will resolve this issue they will lance this festering abscess, which continues to have major implications, not just for Indigenous Australians, but also the rest of the community, whether we were born here or whether we're recent immigrants or refugees or asylum seekers. The second part of the ceremony entails us walking silently from the commemoration site to Queen Victoria Market to the spot where we think these uh, men are buried. So what is the case for the 20th of January becoming National Aboriginal and Islander Freedom Fighters Day? Well, what most of the massacres and the destruction which occurred occurred secretly behind closed doors. The fact is that Tanaminawaya Mōbōhina were publicly executed by the state. They were publicly murdered by the state for resisting colonisation, for being involved in armed struggle against the colonisers. Instead of being treated as prisoners of war, they were treated as criminals and murdered by the state. Governor Gipps, the governor of New South Wales, which Victoria was part of at that particular point in time, refused, upheld the death sentence for Tanamuya Morbohina. So this is a pivotal moment where the destruction which occurred was publicly endorsed, publicly supported by the state, by the British colonisers. 
And that's what makes 25th January such an important day. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. I encourage you to come to the commemoration. I encourage you to uh, be part of it, both seg- segments. And if you can't make it, I encourage you to listen to Community Radio 3CR for the first hour of the commemoration, uh, which will be held at midday this Friday, the 25th of January. Let's move on. Well... Remember, we keep talking about how evil those people in China are where they stop people from striking. Well, there's been a fascinating High Court decision regarding the CFMEU, Construction, Forestry, Mining, Energy Union. The High Court has increased the fine which was levied on the CFMEU for a three-hour picket line on a construction site in Canberra from 125,000 to 185,000. And what was the picket line about? It was about the subcontractor underpaying his workers. So here we have the CFMEU as a three-hour picket, which cost the company about $16,000, a three-hour picket, to highlight the fact that a subcontractor was underpaying his workers, and they get fined. And the High Court upholds that fine and increases that fine. And we talk about living in a free society, FREE where we live in a society where over the last 30 years, workers have lost the right to withdraw their labour without going through a whole number of, you know, hurdles and can only withdraw their labour during an enterprise bargaining agreement period after they jump through about 16 hoops. And the fact that an individual worker can be fined up to $10,000 a day, and some have in West Australia, for striking outside an enterprise bargaining agreement. We have legislation in place where workers can be jailed for up to 25 years. That's right. I'm not making this up. This This is not some, you know authoritarian, you know, crap I'm talking about, you know, in some other country overseas where we can lap it up and, you know, you know, hit our chests and say what wonderful people we are. Well, this is Australia for an occupation. An occupation. If you can't withdraw your labour and you can't have a picket line and you can't occupy a place because of, uh, you know, to try to improve your situation... What's the point? What's the point? And the High Court, obviously, all it does is interpret the laws and, it, and the so-called Constitution, and it upheld that decision. Extraordinary. Just extraordinary. I'll give you an example. JB Hi-Fi. Great employer. Massive profits. People are racing out there buying shit. 
that I don't really need. It pays its workers less than $30 an hour. Massive profits, never redistributed to the workforce, redistributed to a significant degree to shareholders and owners. It's all legal. Legal. Extraordinary. What a world we live in. I should say, what a country we live in. And you know what? We are ultimately responsible for this situation. Because one, union membership is falling dramatically. People have forgotten the satanic mills where employers were screaming that they couldn't employ four- and five-year-olds when some legislation was introduced in the 1830s and 1840s to protect children. And the fact is that if you don't actually have trade unions and people being able to work collectively, legally, to improve their situation, we find ourselves in this situation in 2023. And to a significant degree... We are victims of that propaganda that says that anybody involved in any activity to improve their situation in the workforce is basically involved in criminal activity. And when the High Court ticks the box that this is criminal activity, that people have to pay a huge price for a three-hour picket about a subcontractor underpaying workers you begin to understand the type of society Australia has become in the 21st century. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, I know I've spoken about this issue before, but I think it's about time we looked at it again and again and again and again. We are in a climate emergency, irrespective of whether you think it's human-made or whatever. There is a climate emergency. And what we see in Australia is we see all these heart-rendering stories of fires and floods and cyclones across the country. And we lap up the pictures on social media and, you know, TV, radio. We lap it all up and say... Tut, 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 tut. But after about a week, we forget about those people. And I don't forget about the people of Lismore and Fitzroy Crossing and uh, North West Australia and the bushfire victims in New southern New South Wales and Victoria in 2019 and the floods in Seymour and Shepparton just recently the floods in South Australia. The thing that I see constantly is this piecemeal approach in this country where we lurch from disaster to disaster to disaster without any coordinated response. Now, I've said before, we need 50 national disaster centres 
which are fully staffed and fully equipped. Possibly one national disaster centre for every 500,000 people in a city. One for every 200,000 in a regional area and maybe one for 100,000 in a rural setting as we've seen in northwest um, Western Australia. These centres need to be staffed, they need to have emergency accommodation, they need to have the equipment there, they need to be on a standby basis, whether it's a pandemic or a flood or a cyclone or an earthquake or a bushfire or any type of natural calamity you can think of. The fact is that as a population we should be ready to deal with this. Now I can also hear you all say, oh well that's a nice idea Jay, that's a nice idea. But how are we going to fund it? Simple. Simple passage of legislation in Parliament. 5% tax on turnover mining companies. More than enough money to fund ongoing 50 natural disaster centres across the country so that we don't have piecemeal responses, we don't have people left languishing for years after a particular disaster, left to their own devices, and it can be easily funded. You could have a turnover tax on the mining sector. Are they making billions of dollars every day? Well, sorry, every year. You could actually have, a say, a 10% super profits tax takes a bit of courage, push it through Parliament, build the centres, then you've got a national, then you've got disaster responses in the area. I mean, simple concepts. It doesn't take a genius, <laughs> you know, to think like this, but it does take political courage. And we have a government that lacks political courage, although it has a majority in the House of Representatives and a functioning majority in the Senate with a few allies. The fact is it lacks political courage to make decisions which benefit the people who elect them, the people they represent, not the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. Think about it. It's a very, very simple concept. Disaster centres ready to go. You don't have to rely on the army. Ready to go. Helicopters. All the equipment there. Accommodation. Bang. Ready. Respond. <laughs> they could be involved in continuing education in the area they're responsible for. In between disasters. There's a lot of things that can be done. That can be involved in assisting people long before a disaster occurs to prepare 
assist communities. I mean, we see all the pictures of sandbags being put up at the last minute and levees crumbling at the last minute because they haven't been maintained. That could be part of their function. It's, it's so simple. But it takes political courage to make decisions to finance the sector. Think about it. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. As I keep saying, nothing radical. Keep moving. Don't look here. Nothing radical. This is a simple concept. It can be introduced in any type of society. I mean, what's the point of having a representative democracy when it cannot even look after the needs, the basic needs of people? What's the point? There's no point. Let's move on. Gas. Oh, this is this is this is again. This is incredible. It can only happen in Australia. I mean, this is the country where we have tax deductions for people who own more than one houses, more than one house, and we actually have uh, government rebates for people who own shares. So obviously, anything can happen in the in the land of the uh, brave and the three. Or is that the US? We're just the land of the colonisers, I think. But that's a different point. Gas. There's all this kerfuffle regarding gas prices, right? Look, you want to solve the problem. Instead of sending the army to Britain to train a citizen militia, Ukrainian citizen militia, why don't we just use the armed forces, oh, you're going to like this, to actually take over the platforms and the gas fields in this country. Keep the workers there. Continue to produce gas, but just take it over. Nationalise it tomorrow. I mean, these people are holding the country to hostage. They're holding businesses hostages. They're holding local consumers hostages. They're holding retailers hostages. They're holding state governments and the federal government hostage. They must think we're fools because they've signed a piece of paper to export all our gas, this country's gas, and actually the government and they made no allowances for uh, gas consumption, especially on the east coast of Australia. We're supposed to you know, lie back and accept and say, oh, that's tough, that's a tough world. These people need to maximise their profits. They need not to pay taxes for another 30 years because of, you know, all the wonderful things we've done to help them. Look, just get rid of them. Now, if I walked into a government office with a feather, all right, a feather, not with a gun, with a feather, and I made a disparaging remark. Before you know it, I'd be surrounded by police. The building would be surrounded by special operations group. And before you know it, most likely, you know, I'd be shot dead as a terrorist. Okay? That's the response. Fair enough. You know, come in with a feather and say, oh, I'm unhappy with the situation, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to let you out of the building with, and wave my feather around. All right? Here we have some of the richest corporations on the planet making extraordinary profits from something that belongs to all of us, gas, 
not paying taxes or minimal taxation, holding the citizens and residents and governments of this country hostage to maximise profits for their major shareholders. And the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission says, unfortunately, we don't have the power to do anything. And the government shrugs its shoulders and said, oh, 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 we need to pass some type of legislation at some time. Why don't you charge them 90% tax on profits? That'll pull them into line. Take over the bloody platforms. I mean, we saw with the COVID-19 pandemic the extraordinary power the state was able to use to limit the extent of COVID-19 in the community when vaccinations and treatments were not available. Extraordinary powers, which they constitutionally have. But now when we have these corporations holding the country hostage, hostage, H-O-S-T-A-G-E, not with a feather, but hostage so that they can maximise return to shareholders, their major shareholders, we're expected to say, ho-hum, nothing we can do about it. And as I said before, if I walk into a government building with a feather and make some type of derogatory comment, before you know it, I'll be you know, shipped off to jail, if I'm lucky, if I don't get a bullet through my head. So what's the difference between me waving a feather and them holding the country to hostage. Well, the difference is I have no power. I have no power to influence government decisions. Maybe if there were hundreds of thousands of us pushing the government of the day to do something, something would happen. As an individual, I have no power whatsoever because although I may or may not have you know been involved in parliamentary elections and cast a ballot the fact is ultimately I have no power you have no power the only power you have every three years or four years at a state level is to cast a ballot to elect a representative to make decisions for you for the next three to four years. At the, and then you're expected to wait on the sidelines for the next election, not to cause any fuss. You know, because that's part, this is part of the consume, defecate and die quietly philosophy, which underlines most of what happens in this country. Consume, 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 consume. Maximise profits for corporations. Let them dominate the parliamentary process. Let us elect governments with no courage, that make no decisions when it affects the profitability of the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communications. Let us rely on private charities 
to raise money to send Australian kids to public schools, which have theoretically been three since 1871. Hmm? Let's rely on private charities to look after the homeless. Hmm? Well, we live in one of the richest countries on the planet with one of the smallest populations on the planet. And we continue, continue to deal with the same problems day in and day out, which never get solved. Whether it's a response to a natural disaster, whether it's a response to poverty, whether it's a response to homelessness, the fact is we do not have any power because we are willing to work up the right channels every day. And what happens when you work up the right channels? And I've worked up the right channels many, many times, and I'm sure you have too, pulling your hair out, trying to get things resolved. Usually you're just sent back down that hill time and time again. And if you make a fuss, you're a troublemaker. Hmm? Just shut up and take it, they tell you. So, as far as the gas is concerned, send in the army. Teach them a lesson. Every other corporation will then heal, be brought to heal. They'll understand that they are able to trade and function because we allow them to trade and function. And that through legislation, they can be brought to heel. And if there's no legislation possible, send in the armed forces, take over the platforms for a few weeks and see them genuflex and come back and beg and beg to be part of that profitable stream they're part of. So it's time for a little bit of positive action as far as the concerns and interests and needs of this country are put first. It is to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network, our glorious ally. I think last week I spoke about the fact that it's it's no it's no that uh, it isn't a story at the House of Saudi. We've been uh, selling them armaments for decades now. But just to give you an example of how wonderful the House of Saudi our primary, one of our primary allies in the Middle East is. Now, I know, I'm sure you've never heard of this bloke, but in 2017, Awad El Gorani, A-W-A-D-A-L hyphen G-O-R-A-N-I, sorry, Day A, Awad El Gorani, Awad El Gorani, surname Day A, D-A-E-I-A, first name, was arrested by the House of Saudi, lived in Saudi Arabia. I don't want to use that word Saudi Arabia. It's not, it's not their country. The House of Saudi, it's just one family in the Arabian Peninsula who uh, basically dominate the political process there. Well, what was his crime? Well, his crime was that he had a Twitter account with two million followers and he criticised the House of Saudi. He was um, 60 then. He's now 65. 
And guess what's going to happen to him in the next few months? He is going to be publicly executed. He's going to have his head cut off publicly by our dear allies, which are causing consternation and death and destruction using the weapons we sell sell them in Yemen and other parts of the Middle East. You know, this is the type of people we support. This is the type of people. Look, I understand all the things, all the criticisms that are occurring regarding the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. But it would be nice occasionally for us to make a few comments, maybe about the Myanmar dictatorship just to the north of us. Hmm? Maybe regarding the House of Saudi, maybe we stop them selling arms. Maybe closer to Australia, 67 kilometres, the destruction and death, summary executions and disappearances which are occurring in West Papua almost on a daily basis. Would be nice if they received a little bit of publicity. And talking about West Papua, I'm looking for makers. That's right, makers. Now, the next West Papuan do will be in March, April. And one of the ways we raise money, apart from the West Papuan Rent Collective, we raise money to keep the office in Collins Street, at 838 Collins Street open, is through auctioning things. Now, we don't auction shit. I'm interested in things that people make with their hands. Or of a machine, as long as you make it yourself. So if you're a maker, you've got something you'd like to donate to be auctioned, give us a ring on 0439-395-489. Right, let's move on. Now a little bit of theory, yes. What is a mixed economy? What is a mixed economy? Well, what is a mixed economy? We live in a private investment for private profit world. And what we've seen over the last 40 years, yeah, look, I'm sorry for repeating this, but I'm afraid broadcasting is about repetition. We live in a society with public assets, where it was the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory, the Commonwealth Bank, what was called Telecom then, and a host of other publicly owned assets being given away, almost given away at bargain basement price and fire sale prices to the private sector. So we now have an economy in this country which is based on the private investment for private profit model. And we've seen how this economic model which has no competition, where every field of human endeavour is dominated by a handful of corporations, we've seen them maximise profits at the expense not only of the consumers, but also the country as a whole. Aged care, early childhood development, 
the list goes on and on. National Disability Insurance Scheme. I mean, these are all highways to the uh, Federal Treasury. No competition. So how do you create competition in a private investment for private profit world? You create competition in two ways. Not by creating more and more corporations and monopolies, duopolies, but by commencing, setting up, establishing, funding public assets, profitable public assets. Profitable. So there is direct competition between the public and private sector. Let's not forget everything, almost everything that was privatised was not only making, providing essential and necessary services, but also creating competition in that sphere and providing money to the Treasury. And nothing highlights this than the privatisation of the Commonwealth Serum Laboratories in the 1990s. And then there's another tier of a mixed economy, which we should all be interested in. That based on mutual aid, cooperatives and collectives. Australia had a strong history of mutualism before the state became involved in the provision of social security. And what we saw in the 80s and 90s was the demutualization of businesses and associations which provided essential services to their community. People were bought off with, members were bought off with a five or six hundred dollar payment, and then they lost the right to actually vote and make decisions about how those mutual societies would function. We saw this with the Australian Mutual Provident Fund. See, Australian Mutual Provident Fund, mutual. We saw this. So we saw the destruction of the mutual sector, mutual aid sector, and the abortion of the collective and cooperative sector. So we want real competition in a mixed economy. We need a private sector, a public sector, and a mutual sector based on cooperatives and collectives and mutual associations. But if you go to a bank today, and I've been in that lucky position, and you ask for seeding funding for a cooperative or a collective, they will show you the front door before you can even open your mouth. You won't even get the appointment. They're not interested in building up a cooperative, collectivist, mutual sector. They want it all to be their own way. So it's about time that government funding, and this could be brought about by a 1% levy on superannuation contributions, be used to provide seeding funding to cooperatives, collectives and mutual aid societies. Cooperatives and collectives are mutual aid societies. Nobody gets rich working there. But what happens is they provide gainful employment and products and services to the community. And even more importantly... They introduce real competition into a private investment for private 
profit economy. And that's what we want. I know it sounds ridiculous. Me talking about competition. I mean, we've got the ridiculous situation with the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, which was set up to ensure that competition occurs in a capitalist society, doesn't even have the power to ensure that competition occurs as far as most sectors are concerned, and we saw that with the gas sector. It's just extraordinary. Just extraordinary. Just extraordinary. So, you got some options in 2023. You can sit back and take it all in. Huff and puff. Go to sleep. You can... Um, Continue to be part of the somebody should do something about that club. You continue to be part of I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that club. You can consume, defecate and die quietly. Or you can get involved. You don't have to get involved with stuff I talk about. It's participation in between elections which changes policies. Without that active participation like people like you and me, nothing will ever change. That is the history of humanity. That is the history of community. That is the history of nation states. It's participation. Whether you're successful or not is irrelevant. What's relevant is that you are willing to tear up your membership card to the somebody should do something about that club or I'm going to do this and going to do that club and actually get involved. You can help financially, you can help physically, you can form new organisations, but your underlying concepts are very simple, that we are involved in the struggle against inequalities in power and wealth and that's what makes us activists and anarchists. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week. Hopefully we'll see you at the Tanaminawaya Morbohina People's Commemoration on Friday the 20th of January at the corner of Victoria and Franklin Street in Melbourne. Family-friendly affair. It's not a protest. It's a commemoration. Hopefully one day, the 20th of January, will become National Aboriginal and Islander Freedom Fighters Day. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week. You can join public interest before corporate interest by going to pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I.net, YouTube, public interest before corporate interest, web, Facebook page, Joseph Toscano. It's quite extraordinary. I do some pathetic little videos about planting things and I get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people looking. You do something around political action? Not much. Well... Things will change. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Sorcerer of death construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger!
Become a 3CR subscriber today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03-9419-8377. Be a part of your community radio station. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.